if I had to choose a Sunday to preach on, this would be the easiest because it's Resurrection Sunday, right? Happy Resurrection Sunday. And I'm going to preach about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I said that, but to be honest, preaching on a familiar passage is not, I realize, as easy as one would think. And all of you knowing the story, it makes it a little more difficult, uh, I feel. And uh, to be honest, I think about <laughs> uh, being up here and you as audience uh, seeing me here. And I remember when I was younger and seeing a younger brother getting up and speaking. And I was wondering, what does that brother know, really? Like, I mean, well, how much could he know? He, he looks young. But um, we, we hope that the, the, the Lord will work this morning, that he will speak through his word. And uh, we will have the heart to listen. Um, this morning, uh, I just wanted to talk to you about, uh, actually a little bit more about Mar Mary Magdalene's devotion to the Lord um, and leading up to the resurrection. Um, how many of you have, have, have watched the movie, uh, The Jesus Film, or Ben-Hur, or The Hiding Place? Um, I'm sure quite a few of you have watched it. Growing up, I remember in my early teens watching that, that film with my parents. And to be honest, those movies aren't, aren't the, the easiest to stomach when you're young. You know, it's, there's a lot of scenes that are scary. And to be honest, in my mind, the first time I watched it, you're hoping that everything turns out well, right? And, you know, in the case of the Lord Jesus Christ, he, he rises again. And, and Ben-Hur, you know, you, um, he, everything works out for him in the end. And same with uh, The Hiding Place with Corey Ten Boom. She gets out of the, the inter prison camps. But the second and third time and the, the following times I watched those movies, there was always something in the back of my mind that would wonder, maybe this time, magically, the movie would change and it wouldn't be so scary. It wouldn't be so bad. And, and I don't know if any of you guys thought like that, but that's how I thought when I would watch uh, the Jesus film or Ben-Hur or The Hiding Place. And one of the things about the crucifixion, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is when you look at the crucifixion, it was cruel. It's hard to watch. If you watch uh, the Jesus movie, the most recent one, it is gruesome. There is, it is gory. But that's how it was. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ endured. The Lord Jesus predicts his own resurrection. And I just wanted to point out a few verses that mention these things. John 2, 18-22 says, The Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show to us since you do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. It's sorry for the, the fast reading. I'm trying to fit everything in a short amount of time because we lost some time. So... Then the Jews said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. So this speaking of his, his own body, that it wasn't speaking of the temple, but his own body that would rise again three days later. Uh, the resurrection was a sign Matthew 16, 21 says, From that time Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again on the third day. This is something that Jesus plainly spoke to his disciples. Jesus had the ability, the ability to raise himself. John 10, 17 and 18. 
Therefore my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. And Jesus' predictions were common knowledge. It was something that everyone knew. The disciples knew. The Pharisees knew. In Matthew 27, verse 62 to 64, On the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember while he was still alive how that deceiver said, After three days I will rise. Therefore command that the tomb be made secure until the third day. Test his lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to his people, he has risen from the dead. So the last deception will be worse than the first. The wonder and uniqueness of the life of Jesus Christ, if you study it, demonstrates who God is. There's an article that I read by a man named David Regan, and it's in ChristianProphecy.org. The article is called Applying the Science of Probability to the Scriptures. Do statistics prove the Bible's supernatural origin? And there's a man named Peter Stoner who calculates the probability of just eight messianic prophecies. And he's, his estimations or his calculations are as conservative as possible. And the first one is the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem, Micah 5.2. And then in Malachi 3.1, a messenger will prepare the way for the Messiah in Zechariah 9, 9, the Messiah will enter Jerusalem as a king riding on a donkey. Zechariah 13, 6, the Messiah would, will betray, be betrayed excuse me, by a friend and suffer wounds in his hands. Zechariah 11, 12, the Messiah will be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. These are all things that were prophesied in the Old Testament. The betrayed money will be used to purchase a potter's field. Zechariah 11, 13, Isaiah 53, 7, the Messiah will remain silent while he is afflicted. In Psalm 22:16, the Messiah will die by having his hands and feet pierced. And this, this man who calculates these eight prophecies, what he says is that the probability of these, just these eight, I believe there's about 108 prophecies about the Messiah. But just if just these eight were to be fulfilled, the probability of that would be like if you had, in the state of Texas, you filled the whole state of Texas with half dollars. And on one half dollar, you marked it with the X. And then you blindfolded someone. And you threw the half dollar with the X somewhere in Texas, and you told this man in the blindfold, go find that half dollar with the X on it. That would be the probability of eight of these messianic prophecies coming true. And it's, I mean... To think about that is it's amazing, but 108 messianic prophecies came true. If you would turn to John chapter 20, John chapter 20, and I just wanted to read some verses from John chapter 20, but before we go there, I wanted to give a little context about this woman named Mary of Magdalene. And I'm going to go to Luke chapter 7. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. But Luke chapter 7. And growing up, many I grew up you know, going to an assembly in, in Chicago. And then we moved here to California when I was 15 years old. And I was always going to church. And I'll share a little bit about my testimony later on. But I went to church and I, knew, I thought I knew all the stories. 
But one of the things is when you look at the gospel accounts, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in these gospels, you see different accounts from different perspectives. And it's kind of nice because we're going through in our Bible study on Wednesday night, we're going through the book of Matthew, and on Mondays we're going through the book of John. And when you are studying these books, when you compare these books, you see the different perspective. You're not going to get, and I, we explained this in the Bible study, is that if you interv interview excuse me, four or five different people for a murder case or a trial, and you keep them in a separate room and you ask each of them what happened, each of the accounts are going to be slightly different. And when you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's what's happening here, is that there's a, a different perspective that is shared in each of the Gospels. In Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to 40, I always assumed, and I don't know, many of you might have done the same thing, that these verses were speaking of Mary Magdalene. And to be honest, as, I, as I've kind of gone back and studied it, and I've read up on Bible scholars and commentators, it doesn't seem like this is Mary Magdalene. But nonetheless, I want to read it because there's a, something that is said in this passage that I believe is important. Verse 36 says, Now one of the Pharisees, Luke chapter 7, was requesting him to dine with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. There was a woman in the city who was a sinner. It doesn't mention what her sin is. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him in his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, kept wiping them with the hair of her head, and kissing his feet and anointing them with their perfume. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he, saw, excuse me, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, and that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, Say it, teacher. A money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he, he forgave more. And he said to him, You have judged correctly. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to her, say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who was forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, If your sins, your sins have been forgiven. Those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your face has saved you. Go in peace. Now, there's, I believe, two accounts of a woman cracking an alabaster vial of perfume on Jesus. Um, there's one in the, the latter portion of the Gospels where Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, does the same thing, but she pours it on Jesus' head. This woman does it on Jesus' feet, wiping his feet with her hair. One thing that struck me as I read this 
is that Jesus gives a parable. And he mentioned the fact that the two debtors who owned this money lender 500 denarii, or excuse me, 50 denarii and 500 denarii, they were unable to pay. And it reminded me of our condition, of where we were before Christ. We were unable to pay. We are sinners. When, when you talk to people and you ask them, do you know anybody who's perfect? I, you know, you could ask anybody that. And any sane person will tell you, there is not one person who's perfect. Every person that comes out of a mother's womb is sinful. And you don't have to teach that baby to sin, right? You, the baby will sin on its own. What you have to do is you have to teach the baby to do the right thing, to correct the baby. Well, in chapter 8, moving forward, and like I said, I believe just because this account is mentioned right before what we are about to read, I don't believe it's the same thing. But if some of you have qualms afterwards, you could talk to me, right? And in chapter 8 of Luke, it says, Soon afterwards, he began going around from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, many others who were contributing to their support out of their private means. So you see Mary Magdalene pop up with a few other women. And like I said, I don't know how you can associate just Mary Magdalene with the woman who was a sinner in the passage before where, you know, you could really say that about any of these women. And there's men, multiple women mentioned. So I think there's, these are two separate accounts. And Mary Magdalene specifically says she had seven demons and she was healed of these demons. And she ends up becoming someone who's devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ. The other, these other women mentioned as well. They're following the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only are they following, but they are giving to the, to the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, jumping, jumping to John chapter 20. And one of the things you can read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Gospels, they each have an account of these women after the resurrection going to the tomb. And I just wanted to share real quick, and I'm a, a visual learner, and maybe some of you are as well, so I don't know if is Robert back there. Can you put the map up, please? So I just wanted to show you a visual of the, the, the steps that Jesus took. All right, the steps that Jesus took to get to Calvary. And I just feel that it's important to, to see those things because, one, I'm a visual learner. So right down here, or excuse me, on the, the east side of the map, if you look over here, there's Gethsemane. That's where Jesus prayed, sweat drops of blood, and his disciples fell asleep three times and he would come back to them and say, why can't you stay awake with me and pray? So there's Gethsemane. And and then this is where Judas comes with uh, the scribes and Pharisees, their, their guards, maybe the temple guards. People come with clubs and swords to arrest Jesus. And Judas, with the kiss, betrays the Lord Jesus. Then we go from there. They arrest Jesus and they, they go to the home of the high priest, which is down here, the house of Caiaphas. They speak to the, the chief priest, it says in, in the word of God, Annas, which is actually the, the father-in-law of Caiaphas. And he speaks to Annas first. They bring accusations before, against Jesus. 
they find him guilty, and then they send him to Caiaphas. And I'm not sure if they just moved over a room or what have you, but they're, they're still right there. And you see that Jesus, before the high priest, and this is where Peter denies the Lord Jesus. Then after he, he's before Caiaphas, and he's convicted again before Caiaphas, they make their way to Pontius Pilate, which is up here. And they call this the Praetorium, or where the guards are, har the guards are housed or the barracks. And I just, I want to show you these things, but this is what happened to Lord Jesus Christ. These are, this is something that you can take the step, go to Jerusalem, and, and take these steps and see the steps that the Lord Jesus took. And this is where, the praetorium where Pilate asked the Lord Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And for the most part, we see that Jesus does not respond to Pilate. And then he sent from Pilate to Herod, and then Herod, who asked, he wanted to meet Jesus, so he asked him questions of Jesus, and really not finding any fault in Jesus, sends him back to Pilate. And then Pilate, after he speaks to Jesus one more time, he tries to get him released. But then the Jews continue to cry out, crucify him, crucify him. And so he's sent out from the praetorium. And I don't know if this is the exact route that the Lord Jesus walked with the cross to Calvary, to Golgotha, but very well the Via Della Rosa. I don't know. Um, I, I read up about it. Some of you may have actually been to Israel and actually gone down that road. Um, that may have been the, the road that Jesus took to Golgotha or Calvary. And all that to say, it brings us to John chapter 20, where the Lord Jesus has been crucified. The, the disciples, the people who are following the Lord Jesus are afraid. The, the, the fear that is brought up is it's constantly brought up in the last portions of the Gospels where the disciples are afraid. They don't know what to do. They're scattered. Or actually, they're actually not scattered, but they're, they lock themselves up in a room. And in chapter 20, verse 1 of John, it says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth, and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came following him and entered the tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb then also entered, and he saw and he believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead, so the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so, as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. 
When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her in verse 16, Mary, she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabbani, which, is, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Stop claiming, clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. Now, we see that Mary Magdalene is the only one mentioned here in the Gospel of John, that she was the first to come on the first day of the week. And if you read the other Gospels, there's other women mentioned. There's Mary, the wife of Clopas, the mother of James the Lesser, and um, some people believe that this Mary was the sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And then you would ask, then why is there two Marys? Well, if you look at the name in its original form, it would have been more like Miriam and uh, Maria, something like that. And so uh, they could have been sisters. Um, you can study and find out for yourself these things. There was also Slome, the wife of Zebedee, mother of James and John. Um, and there's other women mentioned, and they come to the tomb. But here, I just wanted to focus, as the author, the Apostle John here writes about Mary Magdalene. She comes early to the tomb. Can you imagine the leader, the person who you've looked up to and followed for three years, the person who you've respected, the person who healed you of your seven demons, and here she is, and all the disciples are scared. They don't know what to do. She's coming early in the morning. And last week, we heard a message about the anointing of Mary, the, the sister of, of Martha and Lazarus, who anoints Jesus' head for his burial. And the anointing, and um, he explained about the grave, how you would, they would wrap layers of this, this linen, and you would put spices on it and you wrap it again and you put more spices on it to conceal the smell. And here she is coming again to do the same thing. It's funny because if you read in Mark's account, the women come, but in their distress, in their hurry, they realize, who's going to move the tombstone? You know, we don't, we don't have the, the strength. And it kind of reminded me of, of, of Rachel and I uh, there were, there's been a couple times where we were out running errands and we we're going to do something, come here to the chapel and, and do something here. And we get here and we realize we don't have the key. Oh man, like what are we going to do? And we have to call people and things like that. These women, they get to the tomb. They don't know, they don't, they realize who's going to move this tombstone for us. And it says it was still dark and she gets there and the tombstone is already moved. And it says in the Gospels, that there was an earthquake. And could you imagine? I mean, this is God allowing something supernatural to happen for the tombstone to roll away. I mean, that's, <laughs> the way God does things is very interesting, right? And so the tombstone is rolled away because of an earthquake. And from that point, the women are told, go tell the disciples that Jesus is risen. There's an angel that is there that gives them this message. 
And it seems that Mary splits off with the other woman. And we're, as I said, we're focused on Mary Magdalene. And her name is Mary Magdalene because there's multiple Marys mentioned in the Gospels. And you want to make a distinction between her and the other Marys. So her name is Mary Magdalene. Maybe she's Mary from Magdala. And they're told to go tell the disciples that the Lord Jesus is risen. That to remember what he said, that he would be crucified, that he would be buried, and that he would rise again. So she runs off, and the other women go off. And I'm not sure if she split off from them, but that's what it seems like. And she runs to Simon Peter and John. And I'm not sure why she goes to Simon Peter and John. It seems like the other women go to the other disciples. Maybe because Peter was so distressed, and he, he was still hurt. He was still ashamed because he had denied the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe because he just didn't have the heart to talk to the others after he had denied the Lord Jesus. And, and John, I'm not sure where he was, but it seemed that they were separate from the rest of the disciples and the apostles. Mary goes and runs, it says. She runs to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, this disciple whom Jesus loved, he's known to be the disciple John who wrote this, this gospel. And he's, he's just very humble and he inserts himself all throughout the book as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And it said, and she says to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb. We do not know where they have laid him. Now it's assumed that this they, the person that she's referring to is probably, she's referring to the Jews because the Jews hated Jesus. The Jews wanted to kill Jesus. And not only that, but there was, there was uh, rules against those who would, might follow Jesus, that they would be kicked out of the temple. So verse 3 says, So Peter and the other disciple went forth, and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together. Can you imagine Peter and John getting this message from Mary? She's saying, I don't know who took Jesus, but the tomb is empty. The tomb is open and it's empty. And Peter and John receiving this message, probably, I mean, I'm sure a tons of things going through their minds about what could have happened. They're calculating, they're wondering what happened to the body of Jesus. And they're running. And it says that the disciple whom Jesus loved, this disciple ran faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. Now I, I imagine Peter, as he's running, he's thinking about the fact that he had denied the Lord Jesus Christ three times. And he's running. I'm wondering, what happened? Oh my goodness, I don't know what happened to the body of Jesus. And the last thing I did was I denied him. And he looked at me. And maybe that's the reason why he's, he's slower. Another reason could have been the fact that uh, Peter, if you look at when the book of First Peter and Second Peter were written, around 60 A.D., and the Gospel of John and Revelation, which was also written by Disciple John, was written in AD 90. It could have been that John was a lot younger than Peter, so he outran him because he had the endurance and he had age on his side. We don't know. But whatever the case is, John gets there before Peter. And it says in verse 5, And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Whether it's because of age, I'm not sure, but 
John, it says, if you look at the original language, when it says he's stooping and looking in, he sees clearly what's, what's in the tomb, that Jesus is not there. The linen wrappings are there, but Jesus is not. And when Simon Peter comes following him, he enters his tomb. And when it says he saw the linen wrappings lying there, it's almost like maybe his, his vision wasn't as clear. Maybe he was tearing up. Maybe they were both weeping as they were running to see the tomb. And they get to the tomb. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb then also entered. So John enters the tomb and he saw and believed. I don't know to what extent that he believed, but he believed. Maybe he recalled the, the, the thoughts that were shared by Jesus when he was alive, that he would be betrayed by the scribes and Pharisees, that he would be killed, that he would be buried and rise again on the third day. I mean, this, this is a prophecy that Jesus shared with them while he was alive, and yet, as it was happening, they still didn't understand So the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And I, I wonder, you know, maybe because of her devotion was so strong because she had seven demons taken out of her. And she then started following the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, if you go back and you read the, the chapter right before Mary Magdalene, Luke 7, it talks about those who are forgiven much can maybe... It says, love more. Maybe she loved the Lord Jesus more because of what she had endured. The seven demons being taken out of her and she was healed. And she's here weeping. Weeping for her master. Weeping for her Lord. Wondering what happened. His body's not there. As she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. She's looking, trying to figure out what happened? I'm sure questions are arising in our mind. Why is this tomb empty? Who took the Lord Jesus? Was it the Jews? And when she looks in, she sees two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. This is the amazing thing. Mary is the first person to lay eyes on the Lord Jesus after he resurrects. But she doesn't, can't, she doesn't know who she, he is. Maybe because she was weeping so much that her eyes were teary-eyed and she couldn't see him clearly. Or the fact that the Lord Jesus has resurrected and she, after she sees him standing there, asks him, are you the gardener? And Jesus says to her, or before she asks him, are you the gardener? Jesus asks him, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? The Lord Jesus is speaking to her, and yet she still doesn't grasp who's the, who this person is that's speaking to her. Thinking that he's the gardener, she says to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him. And I will take him away. This is kind of bold of, of Mary to say. She's saying that just, just bring Jesus to me and I'll carry him out. You know, I don't, I don't think she had the strength to really carry him out. But this is in her distress. In all that's going on, 
she would carry him out. And Jesus said to her, and this, what Jesus says here, I mean, I'm sure blows her away. And when we read it, it should blow us away because the Lord Jesus is revealing himself first to a woman. You know, in that day, a woman was not respected. A woman's word was not respected. And yet, in this account, in the account of the Lord Jesus, in his resurrection, he comes to the woman first. He comes to Mary. He comes to the other woman and reveals himself that he is alive. And Jesus said to her, you know, I wonder how he said it. As she's, as she's been weeping, crying her eyes out with her tears streaming down her face, Jesus says to her, Mary, was it a, a, a soft Mary? Was it a, a stronger Mary? And she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. She recognized him immediately when she calls her name. And Jesus said to her, stop clinging, clinging to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. So Mary is the first one that gets to visual, visually see the Lord face to face. And not only is she seeing him, but she's clinging on to him. He's, there's a, a physical aspect about the Lord Jesus where she's holding on to him. And him saying, For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, Ascend to, say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, and my God and your God. And he says, Stop clinging to me. You know, that uh, referring to probably the fact that she's going to see him later, that he's going to reveal himself when you read further on to the disciples and the others. Friends, this morning, I have to ask, who are you like? And I, I read that account of the, the woman who is called a sinner. She comes and she breaks an alabaster jar at Jesus' feet, wiping it with her tears and her hair and kissing his feet. Are you coming to Jesus and finding forgiveness like that woman? Are you like Mary Magdalene, who was possessed by seven demons and when she encountered the Lord Jesus Christ, she was healed. Not only was she healed, but she supported his work. She followed him. Or are you like the Pharisees in Luke chapter 7 who didn't understand why Jesus would allow a sinner, this woman who's called a sinner, to touch him and associate with him? That's the, that's the thing that I have to to ask this morning, friends. Because the Lord Jesus Christ, there is so much, there's evidence for the Lord Jesus Christ, Him dying, being buried, resurrecting, and ascending to heaven. There's a count. And one of the things, I, I had a chance to talk to one of my buddies at work. He does not know the Lord Jesus Christ as a Savior. And one of the things he mentioned to me was, how can you, tr like, trust, is, is God real? How can you trust him, you know? And he's, he mentioned about people who commit suicide or are martyred for a religion. But one of the things you read about in the Gospels is the fact that there were eyewitnesses. These men, these disciples saw the Lord Jesus Christ, 
and were willing to die for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the difference between the, the other martyrs and the disciples mentioned in the gospel. That they, why would you die for something that you know isn't true? And yet, if you read church history of how each of the disciples were martyred, except for the disciple John, you see, they believed it. They knew it was true. I ask you this morning, friends, who are you like? Do you believe in the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ? I just want to read a couple things. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, before we close, I want to read a couple passages just in closing. Acts chapter 2, and in verse 22, says, Men of Israel, and this is the day of Pentecost, and this is Peter's sermon after the Lord had resurrected, after the Lord had ascended, the Lord Jesus. And now Peter is speaking at Pentecost to all these people boldly. It's a different Peter that we're seeing from before. He says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predestined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. He's calling them out and, and saying, you guys are guilty of nailing Jesus Christ to the cross. And I, would, I would say, we here in this room are in the same boat. Our sins nailed the Lord Jesus Christ to the cross. Verse 24, but God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Jumping down, I just wanted to read. Verse 37 says, in chapter 2 of Acts, Now when they had heard this, they were pierced to the heart, and said to Peter and the rest of his apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Maybe you got someone in this room is asking that same question. What shall we do? We're sinners. We're guilty of the crucifixion of our Lord because it was our sin that put him there. And Peter says to them, Repent, each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, I just have to clarify one thing is that Peter says, repent and each of you baptize in the name of the Lord Jesus for forgiveness of your sins. And we know that baptism doesn't save you. Baptism is an identification with the Lord Jesus Christ that he died, he was buried and rose again. And you agree that the Lord Jesus has done that. But what saves you is putting your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. As I said in the beginning, all my life I grew up going to the church. Um, probably when I was in my, in my mother's womb, I was, she, they were going to church. And so I've always gone to church. But there was a time period when I was about 15 years old where I had to recognize I was not saved. I did not know the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I could talk to talk. I memorized all the Bible verses in Sunday school. I could tell you about who the Lord Jesus was. I could tell you about what the Bible said. But I personally did not know the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. And it was that when I was 15 years old 
that I recognized I was like a Pharisee. I was like a hypocrite who said one thing and did another thing. I was not like Mary Magdalene or the, the woman, the sinner, the woman who's called a sinner. I was not like her, coming repentant. I was self-righteous. I was prideful. And I realized I had to come to the Lord Jesus Christ, asking him for forgiveness of sins. And Romans 10, 9 and 10, excuse me, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If we confess with your mouth that Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. But with the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. The Lord Jesus Christ, this morning, as we looked at who he is, what he's done, the people that followed him, the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. He was buried for us. He rose again. That resurrection proved everything that he said and did. And this morning, will you believe, believe in him today? And for those who are believers, just something that I wanted to throw out this morning. Do you say, I can't wait to get to heaven? Or do you say, I can't wait to be with my Savior? Because I think that I was reading one commentator thinking about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the person, not the place. It's the, the creator, not the creation that we worship and we look to for salvation. I hope that this morning we would look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether you have been saved or not, you can always look to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning we have looked at different accounts, different people who, who came to your son. They came to him with different, different ideas in their heads. And Father, yet this Resurrection Sunday, this morning, we think of how so many people in the world will go to church, they'll hear the message of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they'll allow it to go over their heads. Father, whether they are believers or unbelievers, I pray, Father, that they would be convicted by what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. That they would have a devotion like Mary Magdalene. That they would have a devotion like the disciples Understanding that Christ has paid a debt that we could not pay so that we might have eternal life. We thank you this morning for him. We lift him up and we ask that as the gospel goes forth, as your word goes forth, we would hear it, that we would live it, that we would understand it, and we would look to our Savior Look to the Lord Jesus Christ as the one and only Savior of our souls. Pray all these things in his name. Amen.